When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com, Doug Marie, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams. Time for some Nick Chubb. Right, Scott Patsko? A little Nick Chubb today. One play from last year that tells you a lot about next year. It's what we've been doing. I think this is play five. And what are we doing? We're doing six overall. We could do one more next week, and then it'll be free agency. Scott, you sort of laid it laid it out for us here. Is that is that right? Yeah, I think we're we're still trying to figure out exactly how free agency week's going to go because <clears throat> everything is going to become official right around the time we're usually recording. So definitely one more after that. I think we're still trying to figure it out. We'll definitely have something that day, though, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it, it'll be weird. I don't know. Maybe we can even move stuff around that week. It's like we may get a little away from numbers and film and just react in the moment because the thing that has happened over the course of this podcast with all of our loyal listeners out there, you've come to love us beyond the numbers. Ellis, right? We started off, off with the hard, cold numbers and film of football. But I think we've wormed our way into people's hearts. Yeah, Doug, I'll speak for me and Scott. I just have a feeling our Twitter followings going up and people are loving us. I, I don't know if you've gained any more love throughout all this with just, you know, the, the lack of data you use in your shouting. But uh, for me and Scott, I know, I know the fans are loving this. No, my, I, both, I, all, the, uh, all the porn bots who used to follow me, I lost all them. And then the shouting, the more I shout, it's just a direct relationship between more shouting, less followers. So I'm plunging as usual. But I'm glad you guys are getting out to the people. All right, you know who else is getting out to the people? Nick Chubb. We're breaking down a play from 2020. Scott Patsko, dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. All right, so this, this play is Nick Chubb's 54-yard run against the Eagles in week 11. This was the second straight week that he broke free for a, a big run of over 50 yards. You remember the week before against the Texans, he had that 59-yarder. He ducks out of bounds at the one to ice the game. This one wasn't a touchdown either, but I picked it because it kind of highlights all the things Nick Chubb does well and some of the things that he does better than almost anybody else in the league. Um, so to kind of set the situation for this play, it's fourth quarter, first and 10 for the Browns at their own 39-yard line. 10:40 left to play, and the Eagles had just cut the Browns' lead to 12-10 to 10 with a field goal. So this is kind of a, a drive for the Browns to answer. Uh, now they're in 11 personnel on this play, which was more rare than usual in this game, because you remember this was right in the middle of that wind and rain trilogy of games that the Browns had last season. Uh, So the Browns only ran 11 personnel with three receivers on the field 30% of the time in this game, which was even lower than their um, normal percentage, which was among the lowest in the, in the league. They only did 23 plays in this game. The Eagles, by the way, ran at 68% of the time, 43 plays, in this game, remember, this is uh, the game where the Eagles insisted on throwing it 35 times despite the wind and the rain or the success they had running the ball. Hey, can I, jump I... In? can I jump in real quick? Um, Carson Wentz sucks. All right, keep going. I was about to say, but we're not here to pile on the Eagles. Oh, oh, that, sorry. Was, that was the break where you were going to jump in and say Carson Wentz sucks. I was <laughs> really expecting it. There's Doug's data for you. That's right. Oh, cold, hard data. Okay. I, I just I just set it up. I knew you're gonna do that. Anyway, <laughs> oh, man. the Browns had at least two tight ends on the field for the majority of their plays in this game, but not this play. You had Jarvis Landry, Richard Higgins, Kadero Hodge run were the receivers. Harrison Bryant was a tight end. Nick Chubb's in the backfield. This is the second straight game that Chubb and Teller were back after their injuries. So the Browns also had their uh, regular starters on the offensive line as well. This formation they're in is about as vanilla as you're going to get from the Browns. It, Higgins wide left, Hodge, Landry, and Bryant on the right with Landry in the slot. There's no motion. Bay, Mayfield's under center. It's just basic football. Uh, so the play is designed to go left. 
the Eagles are in a bad spot here. And we have the, if you're able to, to watch this on cleveland.com, the, the play is, is in this post, uh, or maybe you just remember this play, but this specifically I think is worth pointing out. The Eagles had seven players in the box, so five of them are on the wrong side of the field. They have just two linemen and two linebackers to the right of the ball. A third linebacker is basically five yards straight back from the ball. So the majority of the people in the box are in a spot on the field where the Browns are running away from. So that's just two linemen in the path of this play, which means the Eagles, instead of creating traffic and congestion for Chubb, they're going to have to deal with him in space, and that's not really a challenge they're going to win on this play. Uh, there is play action. Mayfield takes a handoff and rolls right, and he gets the attention of three of those defenders on the backside of the play. So the Browns are already even in a better situation at that point. Wills and Batonio are crushing their blocks, pushing their defenders to the side. Treader, <laughs> Treader takes out a linebacker. He just destroys this guy. I think there's like a 60-pound difference. I, I looked up the weights. Um, so there's no chance. So there's three defenders right out of the play. Conklin totally misses his block on the backside and kind of does a pirouette trying to find someone to block, but it doesn't really matter because again, play action. Uh, the lineman that he was supposed to block is chasing Mayfield to the other side of the field. And then Bryant just seals off the backside and doesn't really have to do much again because of the play fake, but all that kind of sets up the stage for winning Nick Chubb's best runs of the season. And before I get to that, I'm curious what you guys think about the setup to this play. The fact that it is so vanilla and it's just basically the Browns coming out and mashing on the offensive line. I mean, I do think, as you said, that it's so vanilla, but to have the two receivers on the top of the field and that single deep safety who has to like sort of hedge a little bit there to that side, to me is what makes this, it turns it from a 12-yard play into a 50-yard run because there are three guys who are just the corners are out of the play on that side, right? Cause they're on the other side of the field and the safety is enough sort of leaning that way that he comes up kind of on a bad angle and is out of the play. And then when the receiver on the bottom makes one block, it's over. Like in terms of like second level stuff, Ellis, like it does feel like a little bit of the design of this opened up the opportunity for like, man, if you get the first couple blocks, this isn't just going to be a nice run. This is going big. hundred percent. I compare this a lot to the last time Scott did a deep dive on 13 personnel, you know, you bring out 13 purse looking like a heavy run formation and you throw out of it here. Kevin's fancying the Browns are running away from their strength. They have a tight end on the line to the right. And then two right receivers, essentially a trips formation to the right. And you're running to the left. That's just, it's unconventional. It's not what you would expect. And what it does is it really forces your left tackle and left guard to dominate their blocks, as Scott said, they do. And that's, he's exactly right. They, they crush this play. If they didn't, we're probably seeing a much different result, but they're trusting Jedrick Wills, who doesn't, didn't have the best run blocking grade this season over the course of 16 games. But I think this is great evidence that he's going to mature into a, a, just an all around great left tackle. And then we know what Joel Petone is going to get. So those two guys win. And because of, running away from the strength and just some mishaps the Eagles make. I mean, 49, the linebacker, I think overshoots his gap. So Teller and Conklin on the right side really don't have to do a whole lot. Uh, and sometimes that that's victory, you know, let the other team make a mistake and your excellent game breaking running back capitalize on it. And I think that's exactly what we're getting here. When you said Chubb and Teller, it made me think like, could the Browns do how they sort of work together on this play? Could the Browns do a thing where they had like, Chubb came out. Now, the thing is, Teller in Penn and Teller, Teller's the silent one, right? And Penn's the guy who yammer jammers all the time. He's Penn. And Chubb's more silent. But I'm looking, like, for a Chubb and Teller thing if they could do, like, little magic tricks and have, like, a little bit. Just like for an off-season video if people are bored, if the Browns are listening. We know you're listening, Browns. Chubb and Teller. We already came up with the perfect nickname involving Chubb, right? No, I know. I mean, you're never going to get better than Chubb of the Hutt. I mean, no. you are never going to get maybe Wills and Teller. Wills might have a little jibber jabber, right? Like on that side of the line instead of Penn and Teller, but they're not on the right side. Conklin, well, you know what? Let's work it out. Not live on a podcast. That's about numbers and film. How about that, Doug? Maybe don't make a lame joke in the middle of the numbers pod. All right. So there is Scott. You do feel that as well, that it's like vanilla, purposefully vanilla. That like, and and again, which I think you guys all talk about this all the time. It's Stefanski. I mean, it's football. 
run run out of a passing formation, pass out of a running formation. And again, as Ellis mentioned, we have both versions of it now. But this got like it looks normal. And then it's like you set up, let's get two winning blocks by linemen and this becomes possible. And it's vanilla on purpose. Yeah. And it's also it's it's making the defense do what you want it to do. And it's making sure that they're they're kind of slanted to the wrong side of the field, you know. And because at this point in the season, we're at the midpoint, the Browns are known for obviously play action um, and, and rolling. And it just, you know, Baker under center is just everybody on that defense is on a high alert for a fake handoff. That's just, you know, the way the Browns have become to be known. So. Um, okay. So, so the one thing that, that, so the thing now we, if we get to Chubb here, this is the thing that I'm, I am curious about Scott, very curious about Seth Galena, who's one of the PFF analysts. I don't know what he does. If he saves them all year, he puts out some of these like fun cutups at the end of the year where he has all these different plays from all these different schools. I don't know if it's a lot of college stuff and he puts them all together and puts them out. And he put out one the other day that was running backs, cutting back wide zone runs. And it was just like, I mean, it's just, it's all, it's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful football. And so, Scott, when you get a good formation like this and you get a couple good blocks, the thing that I wonder about sometimes, like, all right, well, would every running back do this? Is this just set up for, like, moderately competent NFL running back X gets 50 yards here? Or is this where Nick Chubb shows us how he's special? What did Chubb do here? Yeah, I think I think it's him showing us that he's special because if you – when he gets the handoff <clears> – <throat> he kind of leads into to going wide and he makes all the blockers or he makes all the defenders kind of commit that way before he cuts back. And not everybody's going to see that lane, even though it is huge, but it's, that's just one of the things that this play has that we've come to expect from Chubb, right? There's the cutback, there's the broken tackles, there's the vision, which is part of the cutback. There's the speed, the fact that it's an explosive play, it's all here on this one play. And I'm going to, talk about some of those things more specifically in a little bit, but for now it starts with that cutback because he kind of runs everybody kind of there's along with the play fake, along with the play action, there's, there's a little bit of a play fake from Chubb here because you kind of have to commit to going wide and then, and then you cut it back at the last second. And that's what he does. And like I said, there's a huge hole and it has to do with Petonio wills and teller all dominating their blocks and pushing everybody so wide that it's there. But this is kind of, once you make that cutback, it's on Chubb then. And that's where the parade of missed tackles starts. Because right? first there's number 95, who's the edge rusher, Joe Ostman or Ostman. I really don't know how to pronounce his name. I had to look him up because I wasn't familiar with him. I even looked on the flip card that the Browns sent out with pronunciations for this game. He was not on it. That's how <laughs> insignificant this guy apparently is. But I'm going to call him Joe Ostman just because I want to. <laughs> He was undrafted out of Central Michigan back in 2017. He's basically been on the Eagles practice squad the last few years. This was his first NFL game. He was finally <laughs> activated, and this was his first NFL game. He played on nine defensive snaps in this game. So this was one of them. He made one tackle this past season, and it's on this play. But before any of that happens, he learns why it's so difficult to tackle Nick Chubb. He's left unblocked off the edge, and at first he kind of bites on the play fake. But then he recovers pretty quick, and he pursues Chubb, and he makes contact with Chubb, and if he wraps him up there, it's maybe a two-yard gain. But Chubb gets his arm up, and Ostman just bounces right off. Like, if, if you haven't been able to watch this play yet, like, take a pillow and throw it against the wall, and the pillow's just going to drop to the ground. That's basically what happens. I I'm just like, looked up. I, I wanted to see what Joe Osterman Osterman looked like. And I just looked him up and his headshot on NFL.com. He has Nick Chubb's handprint on his face, on his headshot. That sounds about right. This and talk about like a welcome to the league moment, Scott, the way you set that up. I think Nick Chubb ended his career on this play. Woo. Okay. He did play three more games, but this was his only tackle. <laughs> This, yeah. I, this is like this is great stick because Nick Chubb slams his face to the turf oh. and he gets up and runs 30 yards downfield. So I think maybe when he goes back and he might show this film to his grandchildren in oh, yeah. 30 years and be like, you never give up in life. 
Nick Chubb, but also in the moment, the first part of it, not good for him. No, and, I, and I'm sure, I'm sure in the film room after this game, uh, by the end of it, he was being praised, but not at this point. There's a really great, like if you watch the broadcast version, we have the, the coaches film version of this in the post with this podcast, but in the broadcast version, they had a really great slow motion replay of that, that stiff arm. And it wasn't really so much a stiff arm. It was, it was just kind of him pushing him away and he just kind of slides right off and the play continues. Pro football focus gave Chubb 10 avoided tackles in this game and four of them come on this play. Oh, wow. Um, after Ostman, Chubb avoids the diving attempt of the free safety who had a good angle at the beginning, but once Chubb avoids that first tackle, the safety's angle is, is all messed up and he basically can't get to him on the outside. So that's two, two missed tackles right there. Uh, there's another one at about the 20 yard line. Uh, and then another at the 10 where a, a, a defender kind of slides off Chubb. He gets his hand down to avoid falling to the ground. If Ostman isn't there trailing the play to finally make the tackle, Chubb probably regains his balance and gets into the end zone because you still have Landry and Higgins in front of you who push a defender out of bounds. And you also have Hodge uh, ready, kind of still in block mode. They're ready to go. And there's maybe just one or two guys to worry about. So the fact that he did get up after being humiliated at the beginning of this play and then coming back to make the tackle, um, I think deserves note. But beyond that, um, that's basically the play. It's, Great blocking, great vision by Chubb, and then Chubb kind of doing his thing with speed, avoiding tackles, and just not going down until until multiple people are, are around him and able to make the make the play. How special is this, Ellis? Do you think? Holy smokes! Do we, do we have twenty five minutes? Quick, um, <laughs> I've just been jotting down runs and or parts of this run, and that's what I love about doing these plays in review, like. We've just picked such good plays to break down, and I feel like I could talk at nauseum about it. Let's start with this, the cutback, because I want listeners to understand just how special that in itself is. This play easily could have went for really no gain. I mean, there is a bo- potential bottleneck right there between Jedrick Wills and Joel Batonio, and I am I promise you, I've got a friend who coached at the U of M, he coached running backs and working with 18, 19 year old kids. It doesn't matter if you're a three star recruit, four star recruit, five star recruit. Doug, I'm sure you've heard this a lot being around Ohio State. A tendency of young running backs or just running backs without vision in general is they rush. They rush when they get the handoff. So they just beeline it to the hole. They're they're out of control and they're running into their own offensive lineman and then by then that cutback lane or whatever goal you had with the football is null and void the play goes nowhere that has never been an issue with Nick Chubb and it's on perfect display here I'll try and sprint through the rest of this a lot like Nick Chubb Scott laid into the stiff arm to me and with Scott being our Browns historian he can probably vouch on the accuracy of this comparison I'm about to make this is reminiscent of the 2009 Adrian Peterson run against the Cleveland Browns that I'm, if I'm remembering right, it came early in the season. Um, it was a 64 yard score. I have no idea who the Browns player was that he completely manhandled, but it was just one of those plays that it, a grown man should not be able to do this to another player on the football field. And if I remember Adrian's stiff arm it was probably on a defensive back or a safety like like this is a defensive lineman this is just ridiculous if Derrick Henry wasn't in this league memeing everyone week in and week out this would have lasted a lot longer on Twitter and Nick Chubb would probably be the stiff arm king Uh, but it's as good as it gets Um, I want if you're watching this play focus on right after the stiff arm Nick Chubb's burst from the 45 all the way to the opposite 35 that's 20 yards he covers in I don't know 0.5 0.5 seconds. It's, it's an acceleration. It's a burst. It's what separates him. I know Scott's going to get into the explosive playness of Nick Chubb, the home runness of, of his game. It's on full display there. Once again, um, arm tackle at the 25, that's not going to bring Nick Chubb down. Um, there's pinball going on at the 12 yard line. Like Scott said, he's going to score if, if that number 95 doesn't make a comeback and then classic Nick Chubb, there's no celebration. He doesn't give a rip. It's just back to the huddle. Let's end this drive and let's go get a drink of water. It, it is as, 
as good as it gets with Nick Chubb. It's textbook Nick Chubb. And he's not wearing gloves. I know it's rainy, but he's like that all the time. It's vintage running back, and the Browns just have such a special one in Nick Chubb, and it's highlighted on this play. All right, we're going to let you marinate in that for a moment, everybody. Just let it wash over you. The specialness of Nick Chubb will come back after this and talk about it more. You're listening to Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. All right, back on Gotta Watch the Tape, Doug Maurice, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams. Scott, I think, you know, again, we're using plays to then spring forward. You said this is peak Chubb. Is this almost if you wanted to explain to somebody, and I started this by saying, ah, is this that special? Could anybody do this? And then you guys were like, no, this is special, you moron. It's like, okay, I just was checking. Is this almost a play that you would show if you wanted to explain Nick Chubb to, to a fan who doesn't know him in one play in terms of speed, power, explosion, strength, vision? Scott, it sounds like, this is it. So then what does, what else does it tell us about Nick Chubb, a play like this? You know, if, if I was going to explain this to somebody, uh, I would show them this play, but I would also show them a play with Nick Chubb running wide and then having that play turn out to be a no gain or a one yard gain because maybe he didn't, because he is not immune to, to not busting this play, obviously. And that's kind of what Nick Chubb is in a way. He's like, there's the DVOA metric value per play. He's very high on that success rate not so high which kind of means it, it leans more towards boomer bust but there are a few guys there are only a few guys who can do this kind of make this kind of play as much as he does and that's where the special thing becomes more guys are going to end up with a one or two yard gain there they're going to get tackled by our buddy from central michigan um on this play but but nick chubb doesn't a lot so uh, and this play though, it's like, it's a routine because you can, as you're watching this, you can think of three or four other plays like this from just from last season. Yep. And yep. if you've been watching Nick Chubb, you know, for the past three years, there's multiple plays you remember that are like this with Chubb breaking it big, Chubb breaking tackles, making people miss and people bouncing off of him. And that's because he's among the best in the league at a lot of key aspects of this play. Number one, it's an explosive play. He was fourth in runs of 10 yards or more last season. And that was despite only playing 12 games. He was third the year before. He was ninth as a rookie. And if you remember, as a rookie, he didn't get a, uh, become a regular starter until midway through the season. Uh, he, just, he was just known for busting off big plays the one or two times he would get the ball through the first half of that rookie year. So this is an I am not. I am not jumping in here to note how Hugh Jackson didn't play Nick Chubb until they got rid of Carlos Hyde. I'm not going to do that. I, I have to stop jumping into the numbers podcast to criticize people. I'm, I'm going to work on it. So I'm not going to mention that. I'm not going to remember. I'm going to mention how many times I remember people asking him about that too. When, <laughs> when's Chubb going to get more carries? Well, we're just working him in, you know, I just, yeah, that, that was boggled the mind, um, but avoided tackles too. He was fourth as a rookie. He had 44, Avoided tackles as a rookie, but really he was second because three players tied for first with 45. He was second in 2019 in avoided tackles, and he was third this past season with 58. And again, despite just 12 games. Yards after contact is another big thing with Chubb. He, he led the league with four, 4.06 average yards after contact, if you want to stretch out the average there. And that's out of 60-some players who had at least 90 carries. Uh, he led the league as a rookie in yards after contact, and he was third in 2019. So those three areas, he has been one of the best in the league since he arrived in the league. And those are three of the things that, that make him who he is, right? The ability to, to bust those plays, the ability to avoid tackles, and the yards after, after contact. And I think I'd mentioned in a previous podcast how as a rookie, he was first or second in the league in – or, or last or second to last, I guess, depending on how while you look at it, in yards before contact, meaning that people were getting to him quickly and he had to do a lot of work. So that helps with that yards after contact, the fact that people do get a hand on him, do touch him, and he's still not coming down as early as a lot of other guys. So those are three things I wanted to make sure we pointed out here about Chubb because 
that's what makes him special. And that's how you get a play like, like this one. Do you, Scott, you, you mentioned that he is not immune to having plays like this, where it looks like this and he stopped for one yard, right? Do you think he can improve in that way and, and improve his ratio of how many times plays like this pop, as opposed to how many times they're kind of shut down at the point of attack, like just in your general observations, I don't know that there's numbers to back it up or maybe there are, but like this, does he have a good ratio of these of, of boom versus bust or can like, how could he get better at that? Yeah. His, I mean, well, obviously he's got a good ratio of boom plays because he leads the league almost every year in it. But as far as the plays where he's not having that success, he's about middle of the pack as far as success rate goes. And I'm just bringing it up right now. Um, Well, he was 20th this past season, 52% success rate. And just to recap, that's like 60% of the yards on first down, 40% on second and third or second down, all of them on on third. So that's what we're talking about is success rate. Um, A lot of it happens has to do with when they use him what situations they use him in. They started to lean away from using him in short yardage situations this year compared to, to Hunt or sometimes even Baker Mayfield. Um, but I would certainly hope that it's something you can get better at. And I think playing in the same offense for a second consecutive season, having the same blockers together up front helps with understanding maybe a little more about when you should cut back and uh, when you should trust that the edge is going to be there. I think continuity probably is one of the ways that that he gets better going into 2020, 2021. Now, listen, Ellis, there's not a cutback lane on every single wide zone run, right? I mean, it's not like, hey, why don't you run 50 yards every time you run this play? I get that. Ellis, from your observations of Nick Chubb, do you think he takes most of them that are there? Most of the time when there is a lane like this that develops, does he take them? Can he get better at that? Like it's, we remember the moments because they are, they they stand out when they hit. Could we see a world in 2021 where they hit even more? I think Scott's exactly right about continuity. Like there is enough ground to improve upon his ability to cut back. I think of, it it was a home game this year, uh, probably right after the bye where there was a cutback lane that he didn't take and the broadcast went to it and showed it. And then eventually on the next drive or next quarter, he takes it. It's a 12, 13 yard touchdown, that type of in-game learning, the ability to be coached up, take it and then apply it onto the field can, could just improve. Now we're going to get into usage rate and Nick Chubb's ceiling. I think this is about what Nick Chubb is though, which is probably the, one or two best running back in football. Like there's just not that much to improve upon. Cause I think that the, the main takeaway here when I evaluate Nick Chubb is exactly what Scott said about boomer bust. It's not a bust as in uh, this is a player we need to take off the field, but it's just that one to two yard gain that is really just not explainable. It happens on run plays, but the boom is so worth it. And there's only, you know, three guys in the league that are capable of doing that. Ellis from a, from a schematic defensive standpoint, right? If he is getting a reputation, especially in this Kevin Stefanski offense, the kind of running back he is, this guy is great at cutting it back. What can a defense do? Can you play for the cutback? Again, we're talking a lot about, you've talked a lot about the adjustment that the league is going to make to Kevin Stefanski in year two. Is this one of the adjustments that, that defenses will start anticipating this and doing something about it? It's a great question. When uh, the Browns were preparing to play Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans, I asked around just about like what as a, as a coach, what would you tell guys in trying to prepare for Derrick Henry? And the answer is there's just not a whole lot you can do besides bring your motor, your energy, every single snap, focus on gang tackling and specific to the cutback, just because Derrick Henry is not as a prolific cutback runner as Nick Chubb. All, all you can do is have backside contain, the problem is how good Baker Mayfield is at selling that play action fake. They're, they're of course correlated together. They're tied together. Whereas Baker is now becoming one of the best ball handlers in football. You're just really stressing a defense and asking them to do too much. Like, Hey, make sure the quarterback doesn't boot on the end and we expose our edge, but also don't allow a Nick Chubb cutback. It's, it's the beauty of Stefanski and then the players applying it to the field. I'll say this when it comes to defending Nick Chubb, 
you got to have a complete game plan. Your offense has to be in sync with your defense. And it's really as simple as this. You want to outscore the Browns much like the Titans and just hope Nick Chubb isn't available to carry the football into the second half. If you are allowing Nick Chubb to get into the 15, 20 carry range, eventually one or two of these are going to pop. There's just nothing you can do about it. Scott, a play like this, is this showing the marriage of Nick Chubb's strengths and Kevin Stefanski's tendencies and as a play caller and in his offense is just, just a good match of player and scheme? I think so, because, look, we, we talked a lot about Baker Mayfield and how it was a great situation for him having Stefanski as, as a coach coming in with play action, which you knew Baker Mayfield excelled in and, and some of the other areas that Stefanski could help him in. But seeing how the Vikings excelled in this offense with Dalvin Cook, uh, it seemed obvious that Nick Chubb was going to have a similar kind of opportunities to excel uh, in it. So I think this, yeah, I think you lumped him in with Mayfield and like this is, and really there, there's a lot of guys on this offense who this offense just seems like a really good fit and he's near the top of the list for sure. Okay. So the future, right? I mean, we, we, we love to talk about the shelf life of running backs, the value of running backs. We're talking about Nick Chubb is special in many ways and he seems like an ideal fit for what the Browns want to do. So those are two very good things, but how much should he get the ball and how, what does, what does the future in Cleveland you think look like for him, Scott? Yeah. So there's been a lot of talk about Chubb's contract situation this off season, you know, he's getting an extension. When would that happen? Um, so I think that leads you maybe to talk about Chubb's usage rate and what it could mean for his longevity. Our play today shows that Chubb's running style isn't, he, yeah, he has a lot of yards after contact, but he's not hunting for that contact when he runs. He's not like Kareem Hunt, who like sometimes looks like he wants to see how many players he can run through or carry into the end zone. That's not that's not Nick Chubb. Chubb avoids a lot of tackles because he avoids he tries to avoid a lot of tackles. Um, but the number of carries he gets is something to consider. He had six hundred. He had six hundred eighty after three seasons. And he's top two hundred carries just once in a season. That was twenty nineteen when he had two ninety eight. He had 190 in 12 games last season. So obviously he would have gone over 200 had he played a full 16 games last season, but he's probably not reaching 300. And it seems unlikely that he'll hit that mark as long as he's sharing the backfield with Kareem Hunt. 300 is notable because there's the belief and some data suggesting that running backs who top 300 carries in a season are more likely to have a production drop off the next year or even be injured the next year. Uh, ESPN back in 2017 had a stat that the 19 times a player had hit the 300 carry mark since 2010. So they're looking like a six year uh, span there. The statistical dip was avoided only twice the next season. So overwhelmingly the guys did not live up to what they did that previous year. However, there was also a study by the university of Colorado that same year that kind of refuted that, at least from the injury standpoint, saying the injuries, after a 300-yard carry season, were more common in a group of players in the 150 to 250 range. So I guess you can kind of go either way. But still, overall production, it seems, drops after that 300-carry season. Browns are obviously trying to gauge how all this is going to impact Chubb and what they want to offer him contract-wise. But it would seem, and we kind of mentioned this already, that Chubb staying in Cleveland and pairing with Hunt in Stefanski's offense is probably the most beneficial to both sides because – it's, it's not likely that he's going to put on as many miles as a lot of these other running backs. And by doing that, you're avoiding potentially that drop-off. And, and I know he was injured last year, but you're, you're obviously limiting. You're not on the field as much. You're, you're less likely to get hurt. So it's rare that we don't have as many running backs nowadays getting those 300 carries, you know, unless you're Derrick Henry. Um, Dalvin Cook went over it this year. He did not. The previous year, although he didn't play a full season, um, it's rare. But I don't think Chubb's going to get there, and I think that's important for how long he plays and how long he plays here in Cleveland. So I do so, think I, I think we are potentially in the area of the Browns here with their running backs, like establishing sort of like a new paradigm of, of what you do here and how you use these guys. And I do think – so I think two things can come into play. One can be when you have a, a young running back before he's getting paid, if he's really good, you might be like, well, we may as well use him up now while he's cheap, 
We got to get, I mean, he's going to cost a bunch. So let's use him in case we can't sign him. Let's lean on him. And then also maybe once you do sign him, you're like, well, we spent all this money on him. We got to use him. We got to, we got to give him the ball all the time or he's not worth it. If you want Nick Chubb to be long-term and be a 10 year Brown and be as effective as he can be, I, it really does seem like that the idea of the best thing for everybody is to pay Nick Chubb a lot, pay him like a number one running back, but then have another number one running back right next to him to keep him fresh, maximize his effectiveness within a season and maximize his effectiveness for his career. And that they just might have to lean into paying this position, which is contrary to where a lot of discussion had been lately. And I think there were some, there's some particular guys uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, guys like Chris Johnson, I think guys like Larry Johnson Jr. Right. Who just were like, got like 350 carries for a couple years, like led the league in rushing and then just got worn out, then just vanished. And it's like, I do think the league's gotten away from that, but Ellis, I just think there are some very interesting usage, roster management, strategic things where what the Browns wind up doing with Chubb might just end up being sort of in a different direction than what other teams do with their running backs. But I think it might be a situation where this guy is special. This offensive fit with him is special. And the idea is keep him, pay him, but don't overuse him just because he costs a lot and let Nick Chubb run effectively for a decade as a Brown. Yeah, I think you guys are both speaking a lot of truth. Scott highlights how there just is not a situation like this across the league. It, Doug, you brought up a lot of cautionary tales. I also want to add DeMarco Murray to that list. I have it pulled up right now in 2014. That man at the age of 26 got 392 carries. Uh, just, just over – Scott's like, holy smokes. It's <laughs> not the same exact thing. Um, 1,800 yards, 13 scores. He was out of Dallas the next season, uh, had a year in Philly, two years in Tennessee, uh, his best season in Tennessee, 293 carries, 1,200 yards, and he was out of the league before he was 30. Um, Todd Gurley comes to mind, even though I, uh, Todd Gurley, uh, there's some medical stuff there that Nick Chubb just doesn't have a history of, some arthritis in the knee. So I don't think Nick Chubb and Todd Gurley are comps we should worry about, but I just wanted to eliminate that one. Ezekiel Elliott comes to mind. Uh, Doug, you covered him at Ohio State. You might know better, but it just seems when it, as soon as he got that money, for whatever reason, his production dropped. I don't know if it's an in-shape thing. We've never had to worry about Nick Chubb but not looking like just a physical specimen. And then there's Adrian Peterson. I'm going to keep going back to that. And I think throughout the course of this podcast, I've talked myself into probably a, a story idea, a deep dive on comping AP to Nick Chubb. Uh, we have a, a team meeting in, in 40 minutes. The editors will love that I... Ellis has a story idea for once. (laughs) Um, But you hear those names and everything in common with those four guys and the the ones Doug named prior is exactly what you two laid out. There just wasn't a plan of sustainability, a a plan to take some, some work off, off their load. Right. And they, the Browns either, by coincidence or by plan have stumbled into that probably by coincidence because you know someone else a different regime brought in Kareem Hunt and in one season it proved very beneficial so now and I know I lean on this comparison often but someone like LeBron James who now is redefining player longevity I think that's the target for every athlete in sports now and a front office. And how can we prolong this peak? I just laid out how DeMarco Murray's peak doesn't last that long. Zeke's peak clearly did not last that long. And the two other guys, so on and so forth. Once you gave AP that money, he still is a productive running back. He's a freak of nature, but that explosiveness is gone because probably of a workload. So if they can stick to this plan, we may have just either predicted the future, gave them a new idea or just, you know, doing what we do here on Gotta Watch the Tape. Keeping Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb together probably makes that contract worthwhile, paying him Derrick Henry-type numbers while protecting his his carry per season, his carry per game number. And then if this team keeps targeting the playoffs as we're planning on, you can unleash there as this offense figures out its, its matchup-based identity as Kevin Svansky continues to evolve in this second year. So I don't know that much about football, but I know football writers. I know how media people think. 
And I can envision a world where the Browns pay Nick Chubb like Derrick Henry, pay him whatever, pay him Zeke money, pay him top dollar. And then the next year he comes out and Derrick Henry's making that kind of money and Derrick Henry's getting 26 carries a game. And Nick Chubb's getting that money and Nick Chubb's getting 19 carries a game. And people are going like, why are you paying him if you're not going to use him more? (laughs) And like, this is the preemptive pushback against that. Because the smartest thing might be pay him like a 27 carry a game guy, use him like a 19 carry a game guy with a very good compliment, and then watch him be a 19 carry a game, 10 year guy who is one of the heartbeats of a winning franchise. And that is how you get the value out of a player and a position where people question sometimes if the value is there. And the other thing is, great dude, I'll give him the money. I'd get like, right, that's some part of this. You know, I I trust him as a person. I want to give that person, he's not, he is going to hold up his end of the bargain. He's not going to cash his check and be like, I got my money. I'm not going to work as hard, right? So I, I feel good about that. And Scott, I mean, again, we, you know, sometimes I start shouting on podcasts about like, why can't we just talk about next year and try to, the Browns are trying to win football. Why is everything a referendum on a contract that's coming up down the road, but we're getting there with Nick. Right. And I just, I don't even know Scott anymore that like, there's a debate, right? I mean, when you are showing us a play like this and you are talking about Nick Chubb this way, they're going to pay him and he's going to stay. How could it be any other way? One thing I've heard a lot this offseason is in, in, in regards to his contract is Nick Chubb is special. He's a special player. Yeah, you don't want to pay running backs a lot. They can be replaceable. We've heard those arguments. But Nick Chubb is special. And, I, and all I think is, well, I'm sure the people in Dallas thought Zeke was special when they were going to sign him. And I'm sure, you know, the Rams thought Gurley was special. And I think what's special about this is the situation, like we've been talking about here, the fact that you don't have to run him 26 times that you do have someone else in that backfield who's capable and you have a coach who understands how to keep everybody fresh. And so that Chubb can break off those huge runs in the fourth quarter. I think that's what's special about this. And that's why if they do give him, you know, the, the, uh, the market setting kind of contract that, you know, it's the situation they're paying here. It's Nick Chubb obviously has a lot to do with it, but it's, you know, the fact that you're pairing him with someone else and the longevity option is there that maybe some of the other teams don't have. And I also can see, and most, mostly I know media because I'm a Dingleberry media guy. I mean, I say this kind of random stuff all the time. It's like, why did he say that? It's like, I don't know. I thought it in the moment. <laughs> they're going to pay him. They're going to keep him. They're going to pay him. And then it's going to be third and one in a make or break game. And he's not going to be on the field. And everyone's going to be like, why is your 20 million? Do- not, And it's like, because that's not what they're paying for. They're not. They're paying for the boom. And we're going to have a compliment who's get us two yards guy. Kareem Hunt's that guy. And then if Kareem Hunt's not here long-term, because they have, Kareem Hunt has his deal for another couple of years, right? But Kareem Hunt's going to keep being Kareem Hunt, right? And at some point, he's going to be like, you know what? I kind of would like a little more money and a little more load. That's probably going to happen at some point. But then you go get somebody else to be the third and one guy. And you have to pay Nick Chubb like he's the best back in the league. And it's going to be counterintuitive in some ways. He's the best back in the league. We're paying him like he's the best back in the league. We're not giving him more than 20 carries a game. And he's not in the game on short yardage. But he's worth it. Right, Scott? Baker's your third and one guy. I just wanted to throw that out there. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) That's your Carson Wentz sucks is yes. sneak Baker Mayfield. You own yes. that corner, and that corner has been very good for you in the second Where half. I'm planting year. my flag. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Ellis, am I right? Am I right with that? That we're just you, – you have to make – you have to view Nick Chubb and the relationship here in Cleveland through the correct lens because there, it is a little different than maybe other franchise running back relationships. I think that's exactly it. You're not paying Nick Chubb like we just laid out to be on the field in third and one. You're not paying him to probably be on the field in third and four because you'd like Kareem Hunt to be an option in the passing game, right? What you're paying for is the probability, the chance that in one of those between 17 and 20 carries, 
he pops the run that we started this podcast breaking down. And you already have enough data to tell you that there is a high probability that you're going to get that at least once a game, once every two weeks. And quite frankly, the limited number of home run hitters in this league, either at receiver, tight end, and or running back are scarce. It's limited. So when you have them, you pay for it. When Nick Chubb was a rookie, he was doing making runs like this on three or four carries. It, it, it just it is clear that he's capable of this and it is sustainable. And the best way to make sure he can do it both in 2021, 2022, 2023, as this team continues to build a Super Bowl roster and be viable to take that shot. If let's say Patrick Mahomes misses 23 minutes of a second half again is to keep Nick Chubb's peak sustainable for as long as possible and once again that can only happen in cleveland you're paying for the home run capability and that's plentiful enough because scott in the end a play like this that you've pointed out this is like a game-winning kind of play right is it not that like we don't just look at like explosive play numbers just for the heck of it like is it not there's some correlation to winning when you do things like this oh yeah i mean look at the look at the day that I mean, the weather, it was wind and rain, and the Browns, I think, passed 22 times. Uh, you needed a running game. Not everybody's the Eagles. Not everybody insists on throwing it, you know, in horrible weather. So you need that. And having guys fresh, even in that, at the end of the game, it worked against the Texans the week before, and then it got them a win here against the Eagles. So, yeah, that's that's best-case scenario. That's, everybody talks about wanting to, to, to have a running game to play in, quote-unquote, Cleveland weather quote-unquote, AFC North weather. And that's the best version of it from last season is that three-game trilogy of horrible weather. And they can do it. They can keep him, right? I mean, like, they have some decisions to make, and I think we did this on a podcast many months ago. I know I was on one where we sort of were ranking the importance of, like, sort of their young guys. What's the order of guys that are the most important to keep? And they're going to have some tough decisions. But, Scott, with where they are with the cap and the future and the people they're bringing in, and we're gonna, everyone's getting geared up for free agency, but, of course, the Browns go into free agency with a little bit in the back of their mind, right? Of like, listen, we have some guys in our current roster that we're going to have to get ready to pay, but, but they're not, like, strapped. They'll be able to do, if they want to do it, they'll be able to do what they need to do to keep Nick Chubb in Cleveland, right? Oh, yeah. What, they have like $20 million, uh, in cap space, I believe, uh, going into next season, no matter where the final number ends. So, yeah, they're fine. I think everything's going to come down to Baker Mayfield and where that ends up, and then everything else falls into place after that. But uh, I don't – they're not the Steelers who are in trouble with the cap. They're not the Saints who are in trouble – with a cap, uh, they're in a good position. They're not leading the league like they were for three or four years straight, um, but they're still in a very good position. And I think they're is a good place to be considering where the talent is on this team and based on who you do have to sign. And the fact that one of those players is the quarterback. So I, as far as cap and money goes, I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not that concerned about where the Browns are right now. And we are in the midst of, we are doing these bark weeks at cleveland.com, which is a takeoff of shark week. And we are focusing on an individual player for a week and doing a lot of different things around that player. And it is Baker Mayfield week. Um, You know, we're got to watch the tape. We kind of sometimes do our own thing a little bit. We've done a lot of Baker Mayfield, but Ellis, I do want to get this point. We talk about pairing Nick Chubb in the Stefanski offense. And you mentioned this, we mentioned a lot. What about the pairing of Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb? Is this a good quarterback running back pairing that you talked about Baker Mayfield as a ball handler and that kind of things? It does seem like there's also some things here of Baker with the bootleg, Chubb with the wide zone. You keep a defense on its heels. And that maybe is also some consideration here that if your quarterback was, I don't know, just some some straight drop back guy who just was going to chuck it around 50 times a game. But, but Chubb seems to fit Mayfield. I couldn't agree more, Doug. Imagine Nick Chubb playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's one of the worst offensive lines in football, and Big Ben has no interest in play action or playing under center for that reason. It it, it wouldn't work. Baker Mayfield, credit to him for completely reinventing himself this season and Kevin Savansky finding a way to capitalize on his athleticism to get him onto the perimeter. And as I said earlier, I consider Nick Chubb the best cutback runner in football. Wide zone paired with a a great ball handling quarterback. 
it makes the cutback lane widely available no pun intended there if that is or double use of the word because of how you have to hold it just you can watch this play that like scott said there are three players and it was the same can be said for uh plenty of baker's red zone touchdowns this year the way he can hold defenders whether he has the ball or not is is the level of deception that an, a quarterback of baker mayfield's athleticism and attention to detail thrives in and i'll say this also with helping baker mayfield it would help any quarterback but specifically to the way the browns call games and and position baker mayfield we can't overlook nick chubb's stat and it probably was lowered uh, by the time the you know, week 16 and the playoffs ended, but there was a point there late in the season, probably right around the Baltimore game where Nick Chubb was averaging 10 yards a carry in the fourth quarter. I mean, what quarterback wouldn't want to be paired with that running back. So with the lenient on wide zone Baker's ability with the keeper, and then just having a stud in the fourth quarter, it's one of the better pairings, I would say, and something we don't talk about enough, I think, and I'm glad you brought it up of a quarterback and a running back working well together. All right, Scott, we'll give you last word on this. And I'm also just curious, like, what led you to this? Did you go searching for a Nick Chubb play? I want to do Nick Chubb, or how did you decide on this? You know, at first I was going to look at the offensive line and blocking, and then I came across this play, and I'm like, you know, we need to talk about Nick Chubb because I think sometimes uh, we just kind of gloss over all the great things that he does on the field. You know, we talk a lot about Baker, obviously. We talk about things that the Browns need to get better at or things they don't do well. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about the linebackers and the safeties on this podcast. So I thought, let's talk about something that the Browns do well, one of their best players, and let's appreciate Nick Chubb for all that he is. And that kind of led me to this play. I think after the season the Browns had, we needed a podcast where we just kind of appreciated somebody's, somebody's talent. I'm just imagining Scott, like in his basement in the wee hours, looking at an Andrew Sandejo play and looking at a Nick Chubb play and being like, which <laughs> way should I go? You know what? Let's do the good one. Um, well, that was fun. That was good. And I'm glad that I started off by saying, is he that special? <laughs> and by the end of the podcast, I was like, pay him $30 million a year and give him the ball 11 times. He's worth it. It's worth it. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and again, I, again, I know the Browns, Nick Chubb's agent, feel free to take anything that Scott and Ellis provided here and use that in your negotiations with the Browns. We are, we are an equal opportunity Take our information. That's why Scott and Ellis dig it up. Thanks to you guys for listening. We always have a good time. we got another play coming next week, and then it's going to be like free agent time, and we'll see what happens. But as always, thanks for joining us. For Ellis and Scott, I'm Doug. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.